Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or 500 people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome on in, guys, to another episode of The Squonk and the Hag. And tonight's story is a... It's a Cracko Tale. It's a Cracko Tale. Yeah, you sound excited, but like, we know how Cracko Tales go. Okay, for for those who do not get to hear the pre-edited version, this is the sixth attempt <laughs> to start the show tonight. Yeah. <laughs> because we are ultimate and utter professionals. We're gonna have to condense all of the like the the trimmings, like the, the little intros before the intros and just throw them all into one big compilation and just upload it at some point. I don't know. That's probably gonna be longer than all of our episodes combined. <laughs> multiple blooper episodes they cut out so much stupid stuff oh my god but it's gold it's just we have to trim it down for the appropriate length this is true this is true all right anyway so tonight is a cracko tale and you are going to be telling us about the kushtaka the kushtaka yes we're going all the way back into Alaska again. I know one other crack hotel was the, the village at Anjikuni Lake. And we know how well that one ended. Now we're going to talk about the giant Alaskan sea otter. I love otters. I, I, I don't I don't think you want to meet this sea otter, but OK. Does it have the little feeties and the, the big fluffy nose and the little ears? It swims on his back and it holds rocks on his belly. And then when he sleepies, he holds hands with other people so he doesn't get lost. Let's go with that. And then um, just don't worry about the description that I'm about to read. Is the one I'm, I'm going to read here in a bit is it just it's, it's going to be fine. Big fluffy sea otter. Yeah, because that's exactly what it is. Big, friendly, fluffy sea otter. Yeah. Anyway, you're about to find out just how non-friendly this sea otter is. So, we all know Alaska can be a, a wild place. More more than I think people outside the state are aware of. Because, um, if I'm not mistaken, there's areas... Where, where there's just it's there's no electricity there's no in anything it's just it's literally just villages mm-hmm. and i know i've um so i used to watch top chef all the time and the one um the one season there was a woman from alaska and it was not uncommon for wild animals to try to get into her like walk-in freezer at the restaurant so like she would have like bears and moose trying to get into a restaurant to get the food. And it's not horrifying at all because, you know, moose are totally friendly and polite and you can just walk right up to them. This coming from the guy who said he could ride a moose? I wouldn't worry about it. It's fine. You said um, that Mounties ride moose and that you could do it. I mean... 
I say a lot of things, half of which I don't remember, so... Uh, so, th- remember that one time? You probably don't, because you don't remember things, but one time you were like, I'm totally gonna just give you a million dollars on April 11th, 2023, um, at 6.30 p.m. So, it happens to be 6.30 p.m. on April 11th, 2023, and, um... Yeah, Krako, where's... where? You promised. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Um. So the money is in a bag. And funny enough, I timed it perfectly. I told you that date and time because I knew we would re- be recording this story. Um. It is actually in Alaska where this story takes place in a bag. Um. That wasn't the deal. You're going to have to go get it. I kind of left that part out. Mm-mm. I kind of forgot Mm-mm. about that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The deal was that you were going to give it to me. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you when you get to Alaska and pick it up. You'll have it then. I will have it to you. Hi, sweetie. Miss Mara has decided that she needs to be here for the podcast. Oh, no. Have I angered the princess? Oh, no. What have I done? Do you want to say hi? I don't know if you heard that or not. Mara says, where's my money? Back to Alaska. <laughs> Back to Alaska. The the wild wonderland that is Alaska. Because nothing creepy comes out of Alaska. Not at all. Yeah. What could possibly be up in the undiscovered wilderness? Well, with this wilderness comes many tales of the weird and supernatural. Um, The indigenous tribes of the area have lots of stories about spirits, terrifying things, walking the shores and deep forests. So today we're going to go deep. uh, We're going to trek deep into those stories and take a look at the legend of the Kushtaka. Apparently, this is, and I know Ranger has looked into um, a many, quite a many weird stories, and uh, apparently this is... That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, and apparently this is um, one of the stranger stories that they've come across, so that's that's a little concerning. The things that Ranger has seen, and this is one of the stranger ones, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. But it's also interesting, supposedly, so we, we will see... But the Kushtaka come from the Tlingit and Chimshian tribes of the Pacific Southwest. Or P- Southwest? That's not how you say Northwest. The Pacific Northwest and Southern Alaska. There we go. Are we going to have another geography lesson this week? Probably. The mid-north, southeastern Alaska. Yeah, and obviously, if you border another state, you might as well be in that state. Pretty much. Close enough. That's how that works. But, so you you were thinking that these otters were, you know cuddly and friendly I'm, I'm sorry but no they're not um all right podcast over bye oh no 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 you're going to stay and get the full description cute cuddly furry ears you know little hands yes that is th- those are otters mm-hmm. but in these stories the kushtaka are shapeshifters they can take the form of a man or of an otter some stories say they can take on any form of otter they choose but some say they can only shapeshift into one kind of otter Other stories say they can also transform into a large, hairy, humanoid figure resembling a giant sea otter. So kind of a cross between a sea otter and a human, I would guess. So like a, is it like a mermaid where it's like an otter bottom and a human top? Or is it like an otter? It's just a large man walking around with the head of an otter. With human legs? The way it's, it's described as. So is it like Bigfoot with an otter face? That's what I'm guessing. Whenever I hear large, hairy, humanoid figure resembling a giant sea otter, I'm assuming a person that resembles an otter. 
unlike their furry, cute animal counterparts that Mo wants to hang out with, the Kushtaka are bad news. They're known to prey on those who are drowning or lost near the coasts and rivers. And they have a fondness of children and are said to lure them close with their playful otter-like appearance, only to grab them and drag them into the water. Still want to wanna go hang out with these? Well, I will say that otters are known to be assholes, so I'm not surprised that the... You're just like, this still sounds like an otter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're still cute. <laughs> okay, but according to some stories, and I don't think otters can do this... Some stories state that they can also mimic the sound of babies crying or a woman screaming to lure people close. I don't know about that, but there was an otter at the Georgia Aquarium the other year that when she swam, so she was swimming on her back, she was just going around the pool, chilling, and she had her foot in her mouth. Mm-hmm. And people asked the, because like there was a, an employee there who cares for the otters, um, a zookeeper. And they were like, why, why is she chewing on her hand? And he's like, that's the otter equivalent of sucking her thumb. She just was swimming around. Just shoved your whole hand in your mouth. Fair enough. Suck it on her paw. It was the cutest thing ever. And she, like, so one hand, she had her, her, her hand in her mouth, and then in her other hand, she was holding a little ball, oh, like a little blue ball, um, like a, it wasn't like a, a dodgeball. It was like maybe yeah. four inches around, but it was like a, a toy. Uh, and she was just swimming with her toy, suck it on her foot. That's just Krakow in the bathtub, suck it on his thumb, his little toys. Fair enough. Do you get those, um... I don't know that we needed that image, but here we are. Well, do you get those things where you can, like, write on the wall? It's, like, washable, like, crayon or marker or whatever for the bathtub. It's, like, just so... No, it's just regular, regular markers. Just <laughs> watercolor paint. It'd be fine. We'll both out. <laughs> Moving on. So, besides them mimicking human sounds to lure people in. They can also use their human appearance to trick people into getting close by acting like they're going to help the lost person get home, only to harm them once the person's completely alone with them. Um, But there are apparently some stories of the Kushtaka actually being helpful by saving people from freezing or drowning by turning the unlucky person into a Kushtaka. Oh, Oh, you're drowning? Let me save you. You are now Otter. See, I feel like that's like a very vampire type thing. It's like, oh, haha, I will, I will save you and you will live forever. Cursed. <laughs> so these giant otter people are also vampires, got it. I mean, at least they were kind of nice and tried to help people from freezing or drowning. I mean, yeah, it did help them, but just now, now they're one of these creatures, so... You may you may be a large otter creature now, but exactly. you didn't drown. And now you can't drown because you're an otter. Now you have cool otter powers. Now you can break clams on your belly using a rock. Now you can swim on your back with your whole hand in your mouth holding a ball. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? Okay, fair. Like, could you imagine if instead of having to be like a, an adult human, you could just swim in a pool all day on your like just floating on your back? Hugging your, hugging your toy, sucking your thumb. I mean, uh, you probably could, like, if if you can come across one of these things, you know, just swim out into the water and pretend to drown until they turn you into one of them. I feel like we could just honestly have a conversation and be like, hey, Mr. Kustaka, um... Uh, excuse me, I know what you are, um, can I join? Where do I sign up? Loving the vibes. Is it considered a cult or is it a religious organization? 
which usually is a cult. I just want to know so I know what to put down on my tax forms. Are we tax exempt? <laughs> Do I have to wear a Nike tracksuit? <laughs> is there a dress code? When are the meetings? I am here for it. Please tell me there's no Kool-Aid involved. Fair. I love how we have turned a cryptid into a cult somehow. Is that not how we do things? Fair. But moving on. Uh, so these stories themselves have been obviously categorized into, quote, boogeyman tales that the Tlingit women would tell their children to keep them from wandering too close to the ocean or away from camp. But uh, Ranger says that uh, after looking further into it, that this just trivializes these stories. Um, but the Kushtaka can take the soul of a person and turn them into a Kushtaka. So I guess it's not just like a vampire ritual. It's like they just kind of swap the soul out for just like, we'll make a trade. You give me your soul. I'll give you a Kushtaka soul and you can become Otter. It's just a simple trade. That's that's how that works. Yeah. And I feel like... Um... With stories like these, the 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 big ones that get to the the moms using them to scare their children, you know, they they do kind of just like take parts of it or soften certain things or whatever. I'm, I'm sure there are some people who don't have a problem just going up to their child and being like, all right, Timmy, if you go near the lake over there, a giant otter man is going to come out and take your soul and turn you into one of them. It's just the way it is. True. True. And I could see kids being like, I want to be a giant otter. That would be me. Let's go! Like, yo, you mean I get to be an otter and go live in, in the ocean? Let's go. <laughs> Especially if you're a kid. Like, I, I wouldn't be like, oh, no. I'd be like, heck yeah. I'd be going and hunting this thing. Just full on Lord of the Flies, just all the village children just grabbing like spears and just in nets and fishing nets and walking out into the forest like I'm gonna trap this thing. But with them doing this soul swapping ritual thingy, because that's what we're gonna call it. So eloquent. Yes. Am good with words. Sure. I do English well. We'll 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 just go with that. Yeah, we're we're just we're just gonna go with that. That's that's fine. Krakow does English well. Thereby, in Tlingit culture, making this person, upon swapping their soul out, makes them unable to reincarnate and consequently the everlasting life that reincarnation imp implies. So those that believe in reincarnation, this happens to you, you're stuck like this, pretty much. So I can see that being a downside. There is no returning from otter. Unless you just enjoy being an otter that much, then it's... It's like, all right, I have what I want. It's fine. Well, and if the Kushtaka are like immortal or something like that, then who needs reincarnation? You can just be an otter. <laughs> oh, wait, that's a dolphin. Um, I mean, they make squeaking noises like that, too. So, I mean, it's close enough. Yeah. You yeah. scream. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't that just sound wonderful? Just like no thought, just swim on back, eat foot and scream. You forgot hold toy. No thought. Smash clam on tummy. Hold hold ball. Eat foot and scream. <laughs> so now I have a wonderful picture to paint for you to use your imagination. It's just like reading Rainbow. Yeah, except it's really horrifying. Take a look in it's a book. It's adult reading Rainbow. Wait, that's a different kind of reading Rainbow. Oh, I take that back. No, no, Cracko, no. Let's not go no, there. No, no. Let's not go there, Cracko, no. No, no, no. Crackle, no. And everybody is now scarred. 
everywhere it's it's fine now you know what now you know how mo feels all the time <laughs> well so now we can imagine what an encounter with the kushtaka might look like so you're walking through your village or hunting in the woods or fishing by the sea and a man or group of men approach you these men look just like kinsmen and you don't have a clue that they're really kushtaka they might ask you to come with them hunting or fishing seeing as you know them, you unwittingly agree and pay the price. As once all alone with them, they descend on you and in some cases these malevolent creatures appear when you're lost or injured and claim that they intend to rescue you, usually in the guise of friends or family again, but they always lead you deeper into the wilderness and either tear you to pieces or turn you into a kushtaka. And as Ranger says, that's scary. Well, the the tear you to pieces part is scary, yes. I mean, we don't know what these things look like. If they look like otters, then if they look like an otter like we're thinking, then it might not be so bad. But yeah, I guess depends on what kind of like, what you know. Yeah, if they're like squonky, I, I wouldn't want to be turned into a, a Kostaka. But if, if it's literally just a little otter that gets to lay on his back and swim all day long. Did you just did you just refer to squonky as unpleasant and I am supposed to be the squonk? I am offended. You chose the name. Okay, fair. <laughs> You're right. I'm still offended. Oh my god, over the weekend at Easter dinner, I had to try to explain to my father what a squonk was. Oh no. How'd it go? I'm pretty sure he just nodded and said okay to get me to shut up. Fair. And then he started watching the baseball game. I would love to have heard that conversation. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it came up, I was like, oh yeah, there's a, a squonk festival in Pennsylvania in August. And he's like, what is a squonk? Because my dad doesn't, my dad doesn't use computers or technology or anything like that. So he doesn't know, my mom played the podcast for him one time on a speaker. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what it's called. He doesn't understand what a podcast is. So I just drop it with him. So he doesn't know the name of our podcast. So he's like, what's a squonk? And I was like, oh. It's a thing. It's definitely a thing. We have an episode on it. If you don't know what a squonk is, you should check out that episode. Would would it be rude to have described a podcast as it's like a radio show? Why would that be rude? That is it that's basically what it is. It's talk radio, but self-produced. We have our own radio station. But uh, the, I'm I'm gonna bring this back up again. At whatever point Krakow comes to Pennsylvania, we're gonna do um podcast live where we have video with it as well and I'll just hold a whisk with a little lapel mic clip to it. <laughs> Why would you have to clip a lapel mic to it? Because I don't know if you're aware, but a whisk doesn't actually record audio. Yeah, but we could have like a a regular microphone like off camera that could pick you up. But that would make too much sense. Fair. And it's too obvious. I'm going to be breaking out the Advil tonight, aren't Probably. I? Probably. Because we're not even halfway through. So on to our first story about the Kushtaka. The first two are Tlingit stories, and the last one is from a prospector from the 1900s. I actually said that date right this time. I'm proud of you, Krakow. So this folktale is called The Land Otter's Captive. It was recorded by John Swanton of the Bureau of American Ethnology. I struggled to say that word whenever I first read it, because I was like, my brain just couldn't... Couldn't figure out how to say it. Uh, that word of all words. 
I'm actually surprised that you didn't use something like entomology or... That's what my brain wanted me to say, but I had to force it to say the actual word. Ethnology. Good job, Bracco. I had to enter the manual override code. Several persons once went out from Sitka together when their canoe upset and all were drowned except a man. Now, this word I'm not going to be able to pronounce because there is a lot of... um, There's letters in it? There's letters in it, and they have uh, markings above the letters, and I don't know how those are pronounced. I literally cannot even comprehend how to pronounce that. But this one man was the lone survivor when a canoe came to this man, and he thought that it contained his friends. But they were really land otters. They started southward with him and kept going further and further until they had passed clear around the Queen Charlotte Islands. And at every place where they stopped, they took in a female land otter. All this time, they kept a mat made out of the broad piece of a piece of, or the broad part of a piece of kelp uh, over the man that they had captured until, at any length, they arrived at a place they called Rainy Village. So I guess their that's their blanket is a piece of kelp. Is kelp that big? I thought kelp was like little. I thought it was small as well, but maybe there's some larger pieces of kelp, but I, I don't. I don't know how kelp works. I know it's a plant. Now I'm curious as well. Anyways, let's 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 let's, let's, let's continue on. Continuing on, we we have we'll now worry about kelp later. These these land otters have arrived at a place called Rainy Village with this man, and at this place the man met an ant who had been drowned years before and had become the wife of two land otters. She was dressed in a groundhog robe. I do not know what a groundhog robe is. These are all new things to me. I'm pretty sure it's a robe made from groundhog. That would make sense because my brain was just like, is this a robe with a groundhog pattern all over it? Like, but that makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, technically, if it's a robe made of groundhog, technically it is a robe with a pattern of groundhogs because. Yeah, but it's not like a, a nice little printed cotton. They got it from the local Ikea. Yes. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly where it came from, Crackle. Yes. So this woman then said to him, your aunt's husband will save you. You must come to see me this evening. When he came, his aunt said, I can't leave these people, for I have learned to think a great deal of them. Afterward, his aunt's husband started back with him, and they didn't camp until midnight. Uh, their canoe was a skate, and as soon as they came ashore, they would turn it over on top of him so that no matter how hard he tried to get out, he couldn't. They just trapped the man under the canoe. Did they, like, sit on him or something? Because I feel like a canoe, like, it's not light, but it, you should have been able to get out of there. I would think, but it also says uh, their canoe was a skate, so, like, is that... I, I don't know how canoes work other than one normally thinks of as a canoe. I don't know if that's a different type of canoe. I don't know. Yeah, for me, a skate is like an ice skate. So I don't think they were in an ice skate. I don't think they were. Either way, this man could not escape this canoe. So in making the passage across to Cape Almany, I know that's probably not right at all, but from there they worked very hard, and shortly after they landed, they heard the raven. They could go only a short distance for food. When they first started back, the woman had said to her husbands, don't leave him where he can be captured again. Take him to a good place. So they left him close to Sitka. So then he walked around in the neighborhood of the town and made the people suffer so much every night that they couldn't sleep and were determined to capture him. 
So they fixed a rope in such a way to ensnare him, but at first they were unsuccessful. Finally, however, they placed dog bones in the rope so that they would stick to his hands. Dog bones apparently being the greatest enemies of the land otters. I don't know if that's that means that they're attracted to dog bones and like a snack or so when you say dog bones, do you mean like dog treat milk bone bones or do you mean the bones of dogs? This being a remote village, my mind immediately thinks bones of dogs, but I could be wrong. It could be a bone you would give to a dog. That's what I thought, but I was hoping you would say... Yeah, I was hoping it would be the other, but being a remote village, that's the first thing I thought of. That, or, I mean, it could very well just be a bone that you would give to a dog. True. It could be one or the other, because, like, they would still have dog bones. It just wouldn't be, like, milk bone. It would be literally just an animal bone. Yeah, like, after they, like, they would hunt for food, and then, you know clean the meat and the hide and all that stuff and they'd have bones and they could give those to the dogs so maybe that's what it is yeah it is actually looking on here through the rest of the story it is some sort of animal bone whether it is literally a dog bone or an animal bone that you would give to a dog either way um the point of these were is they were broken up it seems and made into sharp points because you'd step on them and yeah because later on it, it says that uh Late that night, the land otter man tore his hand so with these bones that he sat down and began to scream. And while he was doing this, they got the rope around him and captured him. And when they got him home, he was at first very wild, but they restored his reason by cutting his head with the dog bones. Because that that's how you calm people down. I mean, yeah, like when I have a bad day at work, I'm just like, hey, Chris, can you cut my head open with some dog bones? Works every time. But apparently he was probably not so far gone as most victims. And then they learned what had happened to him. So after this time, however, he would always eat his meat and fish raw. Once he was among the halibut fishers, they wanted very much to have him eat some cooked halibut. He was a he was a good halibut fisher, probably having learned the art from the land otters, though he didn't say so. They they just assumed that that's they're the ones that taught him how to fish so well. Um, but for a long time, the man refused to take any, but at last consented, and the food killed him. Did it kill him because it was cooked, or was it poisoned? That's just where that story ends, so it's implying that the food killed him because it was cooked, but there's not really an explanation there, so who knows. I would imagine that if they're taking care of this man and trying to, you know, sort of rehabilitate him, that they're not going to poison him. If he's not being a problem. See, I was thinking that the fishermen were like, this dude's a weirdo. Let's get rid of him. Well, I mean, if he's a good, if he's a good halibut fisher, then like that's good for the village. Cause like, even though he eats them raw, it doesn't mean that True. everyone True. else has to. I mean, it would be kind of nice to have the land daughters be friends with the, the people of the villages. Cause then it's like, this, those are helpful, helpful fishermen. Mutually beneficial. Yes. You catch us fish, we leave you alone, you leave us alone. It's all fine. It's all good. Everything's fine. So our next story has an interesting name. It is called The Land Otter Sun, and it is from the same text. There was a great famine at Sitka, and all people went halibut fishing. Then a certain man went with his wife to the mouth of Readout Bay, and he had prepared barks some time before, and when they got to this place, they made a house out of them. They fished there for a long time, 
but caught no more than one or two halibut a week. And so by the end of two months, they had very little to live on except shellfish and other things that they found at low tide, which I can't imagine you find many good things at low tide, but... Yeah. Usually it's just empty shells. I guess they're out here eating shells. Yum. Calcium. Anyway, one evening they caught a small halibut at their fishing ground. They cooked a piece of it and put the rest on a drying frame in in the brush house the men had constructed outside. And the next day they heard a noise there as if something were being thrown down and moved around. The woman said, what what could that be? Then her husband went out and was astonished to see two medium-sized devilfish lying there. What's what's a devilfish? The name sounds familiar, but honestly, I don't remember right off. So it's just a type of fish. Yeah, it's it's a type of fish. So um, upon looking that up really quick, there are some fish that are called devilfish, which basically they look like rocks. Oh, okay. They that they, they that's their camouflage. They literally look like rocks. But and another thing that comes up is devilfish is basically a, a manta ray. It's a giant devil ray. So I don't know if it's actually the fish or if it's like the manta ray type fish. Oh, wow. There's two types of devil fish, one with a space and one without the space. Without the space, it looks like a little small rock, but it's, it's, a, it's a smaller fish. But apparently there's many fish with the name devil fish. Well, the notes don't have a space. The notes don't have a space. So I would say it's probably the fish. Probably. So he wondered how these devil fish had gotten up from the from the beach. Then he went in and said, uh, wife, I am in luck. There are two large devil fish out there. I don't know who brought them, but tomorrow morning we'll take them and see if we cannot catch some halibut. The person who brought them here is very kind, for I've been hunting everywhere vainly for bait. The woman sat down and considered, and finally she said, do you know who brought them here? He said, no. Then she said, I'll tell you who brought them here. Don't you remember that my son drowned a year ago and no one has seen anything of him since? It must be he who has taken pity on us because he sees how poor we are. I'll call his name and if I hear anyone whistle tomorrow or any other night, for I know it's my son. So the woman spoke. And in the morning, they went out with these devil fish and caught two halibut. Evening came on and after they had reached home, it was dark and they began to cook the halibut. Just as the woman was putting some into the pot, a person whistled behind the house. And then she said, We've longed for you, my dear son. Come in and don't whistle around us. We've been wishing for you for the last year, so do not be afraid. It's only your father and I. Come in. And then it whistled again. The man went to the door and opened it and said, Come in, my son. I think you've come to help us because we're very poorly off here. The door is open. Come right in. I I don't know if it's a good idea to just invite things into your home that you're not 100% sure what it is, but they just went for it. Yeah... Yeah, because uh, there are a lot of bad creatures and cryptids and humans that can whistle. Mm-hmm. So... And there's a lot of things that can't enter your home, like such as vampires, unless they're invited. Unless you invite them in, yeah. So just inviting things in, I don't think that's a good idea. No, I don't think so either. So um, after the father said this... They didn't see him enter, but all of a sudden he was seated opposite them with his hands over his face. Oh. I, I don't know how he did that, but now, now he's there. Yeah, that's not uh, concerning or creepy at all. No. At this point, they spoke to him, saying, Is it you, my son? And he only whistled by drawing in breath. So when, you know, normally you whistle by blowing out. He did it inhaling. I can whistle both ways. I mean, same, but 
after this, seeing him sitting there opposite them, they spoke to him, saying, no, is it you, my son? And again, he whistled by drawing in his breath. And that was the way he spoke to them, that apparently he couldn't speak. He could just whistle. But toward midnight, he did begin to speak. The father said, again, is it you, my son? The land otter man said, yes. He motioned to them that there was something outside which he brought for them. It was more devilfish. He said, in the morning, we will go out. And the woman gave him a pillow and two blankets for the night, and he slept on the other side of the fire. First of all, I don't know how comfortable I would be depending on what, what this, this man looked like, if I would be comfortable sleeping, like, in the same room as him. I mean, they think it's their kid. Yeah, but it, 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 just the appearance would be a little startling, I would think. Just a giant otter. Okay, the dude went to the door and was like, Hey, random thing out there that we think is our son, come on into the house. The door is open. Yeah, obviously they they they're not afraid, but like me, I would be like, mm, I'm I'm not I'm not 100 sure about this. Something, something's not right here. You're just repeating my internal monologue every time I talk to you. You're not wrong. <laughs> that's that's also how uh, how you get a cracko as well. You just you ended up saying something about yeah, sure, come on in. And then he just appears there. <laughs> you don't see him enter. He's just there. Again, reiterating the incompetent vampire theory. <laughs> Basically, yes. Well, vampire, and I don't even know it. So they slept, and early in the morning that it was yet dark, he took his father by the feet and shook him, saying, Get up, we will go out. He told him to take his fishing line, and they carried down the canoe. Then the land otter man stepped in, and his father followed. His father gave him a paddle, and the canoe went flying out to the halibut ground. It was his son's strength that took them there so quickly, so apparently it was like they attached a motor to this canoe that he paddled that fast. Wow. They were just gone. So when they suddenly stopped the canoe at their fishing spot, he took the line and baited the hook with one devilfish tentacle. I didn't know devilfish had tentacles, but apparently they do. Then again, I didn't know what a devilfish was until a minute ago, so... Who knows? Anyway, he baited the hooks, all the hooks, and lowered them, and then he tied the end of the line to the seat. He said to his father, put the blanket over you. Do not watch me. His father did so, but observed him through a hole in the blanket. The land otter man, without causing any motion in the canoe, jumped overboard and went down the line and put the largest halibut he could find on their hooks. And when he came in, he shook the canoe, and his father pretended to wake up. He gave the line to his father, who began to pull up. Very many big halibut began to come up, which he clubbed and threw into the canoe as fast as he could. And then they turned the canoe around and headed home. So I, I don't know if that counts as fishing. You just like have a fish and someone jumps over to the water and just attaches the fish to the hook. And then when you bring it up, you club it. Uh, I don't... It's a very odd fishing trip. <laughs> a, a little bit. but I was like, Cracko, are you okay? After this odd method of fishing he then turned the canoe around and started for home the canoe was full and on the way the land otter man was in the bow holding a spear and after he held it there for a long time he threw it his father couldn't see that he had thrown it at a large seal he brought it close to the canoe gave it one blow to kill it and threw that into the canoe when they came ashore it was almost daybreak and then motioning to his father that the raven might call before he reached shelter he ran straight up to the woods. Now this man's wife came down and began cutting up the halibut. By the time they had it all in the house, it was dark. The same evening, before they knew it, he showed up again. 
The man took some pieces of raw halibut, cut them into bits, and placed them before him, and he turned his back on them and ate very fast, and he would again only eat raw food. After about a week later, they told their son not to go into the woods at night, but stay with them, and so he did. When he wanted to go fishing, he would awaken his father while it was still dark, and then they would start off. Each time, they brought in a load of seal, halibut, and all sorts of different things, and they began to have great quantities of provisions. After that, they began to see his body plainly. His mouth was round and had long hair, had grown down over his back all the way to his butt, and he took nothing from his father but father and mother but raw food. So I'm guessing our, our assumption was correct that it does almost look like Bigfoot. Bigfoot, cousin it, and an otter had a baby. That's an image. You're welcome. Thanks. Anytime. Sometime after, they began to pack up to come to Sitka. He now talked to them like a human being and always stayed with them. He helped load their canoe, gave, uh, and his father gave him a paddle. Then they set out. The land otter man in the bow. That is a mouthful, by the way. The land otter man. The land otter man who had an otter box. My God. <laughs> it's okay. He's friends with Jeff. He just has his like little otter box and like the, the belt holster. And do we have a new cryptid? What, what is his name? Leonard. Wait, what? Leonard. Leonard and Jeff. Fair enough. Leonard and Jeff. It's now a thing. It's now a thing. Leonard works for uh, the Otterbox company. He's really worried about cell phone safety, guys. His whole thing is he demonstrates how tough their phone cases are by trying to break it on his tummy, but he can't. (laughs) Oh my god, how cute is that? Oh my god. Let me show you. Here's your traditional phone case. Snap. Just like that. Gone. Otterbox? No, nothing. I love it. I love it. <sighs> All right, so they're in the canoe. They set out for Sitka. Land Otter Man is in the bow. His father's in the stern and his mother between. When they came to, I this is going to be interesting here, Pavarotny Point, the woman saw the shadow of her son's arms moving and his hands, which held the paddle, being invisible. She said to her husband, What's the matter with my son? He doesn't seem to be paddling. I can only see his shadow now. So she moved forward to see whether he was asleep or had fallen into the water, and her son wasn't there. The blanket he had around his knees was there, but he was gone. She said to her husband, Your son is gone again. And he replied, I can't do anything more. He's gone. How can I bring him back? So they went on to Sitka, and when they got there, they reported all that had happened, and the father said, My son helped us. Just as we got around to the point, he disappeared out of the canoe. So his friends gave a feast for him. Uh, His father's name was, in. if I pronounce it how it's spelled, it's Saki, but I know that's not it. It might be. I mean, it could be. I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah, I have no idea. But, and I'm not going to see... Ranger, why would you do to me? You, you know good and well I cannot pronounce these Alaskan village names. This is exactly why Ranger did this to you. Exactly. Well, there's the place where they fished for halibut in here, but I have no idea where to begin with that. So, uh, Saki E. Saki E D. D. S A K I. E D I. But there's a lot of hyphens and stuff in there, so. Imagine yeah, a lot know. of those words are silent and it's it, we're like way off. Probably we have probably just butchered and offended the Alaskan tribal nations. We can we can no longer we can no longer go to Alaska because now we have just offended all of them. 
we have to make sure they never hear the podcast. Um, I know you think very highly of the podcast, but I don't think they're ever going to hear the podcast anyway. So. <laughs> I mean, one can hope. I mean, one can hope. That it would reach that far. We'll just, we'll just start, like, running the, the podcast audio through, like, a little transcriptor thing where it writes it out, and we'll just make, like, podcast pamphlets, and we'll just, like, start passing them out. Or you could do, like, episode three. You could do, like, ham radio and just, like, play it over the airways. No, just while we, while we record, I'll just have, like, a, a Morse code machine <laughs> over here, and I can just be tapping away. Except you don't know Morse code, so someone would just get in and be like, no. fire the lily. Fire, squirrel, scissors, brain house. What? <laughs> milk scissors. What? Mm, milk scissors. <laughs> cheese garden. What? Oh, I would go to a cheese garden. I mean, same. If it's like a beer garden. Oh, man. Imagine a beer garden. But instead of beer, it's cheese. Yeah. No one's going to be surprised by this. That you thought of beer garden and my mind went immediately to let's plant some cheese and grow it in the garden. Cracko, you can't grow cheese. Well, I know that, but do you? No comment. Do you know how cheese is made? I got to I got to take the shovel and go out back and dig up some stuff that's I'm leaving. Anyway, there it is. <laughs> Took a while this time, but we got there. Last story. The one is from 19, the 1900s, a gold prospector named Harry Culp and his three companions exploring the Patterson Glacier north of Thomas Bay, known locally as the Devil's Country. Sounds like a lovely place. It gets better, though, and called the Bay of Death by the native Tlingit due to a uh, landslide that happened in 1750 that killed 500 villagers. Oh, God. This was incidentally attributed to the machinations of malevolent uh, Kushtaka. Um, they returned with a tale of a disturbing encounter with the Kushtaka. Culp wrote about the, his encounter, but the manuscript he penned was not discovered until after his death by his daughter, and has since been reproduced as the strangest story ever told. And this is an excerpt from that work. Oh, wow. I left come the next morning, which was a fine sunny day. I took only the rifle with me, and when I came to the ridge, sure enough, there were a few grouse hooting. I shot two and had gotten them when I bagged another one, which fell down the ridge about a hundred yards before I hung it up. While on my way back, while I'm way down to pick it up, I found that piece of quartz. Up to that time, I had paid very little attention to what the country I was in looked like, as it was so heavily timbered and brushy. The formation didn't show up, and I had no tools with me to uncover it. The top of an old snag had broken off and fallen scraping the top moss and loose dirt for a space of about 8 feet wide and 18 or 20 feet long, uncovering this quartz ledge, which is where I found this piece. This ledge was worked smooth by a glacier at one time, and I couldn't find anything to a piece off with, so I used the butt of my gun to get that piece. In doing so, I broke the stock of my gun, thus ruining it for further use. This didn't worry me any, as I knew there was not game in the country larger than a grouse, and a few of them. My first thought was of the richness of the quartz and of you fellows and getting back to uh, back to town to round you all up so we could get busy on it. Apparently, I, I don't know how much quartz is worth, but apparently he's not worried about breaking everything. Just like, give me this quartz. Um, I didn't think 
quartz was really worth much? I didn't think so either. Like, I know it's used for things, but it's not as, it's not rare like a diamond or something. It's just, then again, back then, maybe they didn't know where to find it. I don't know. Maybe, but like right now, I could literally go to my local science museum and pick up a bag of it for like a dollar. That's something to look up later. After looking over and enjoying the feeling of knowing I had made a rich find, I covered the ledge up again with moss, limbs, and rotten chunk. Finishing that job, I thought I could climb over the ridge directly over the ledge and get my landmarks so I could come back to it again or tell you where it was if anything should happen to me. This I did, climbing straight up over the ledge on the ridge till I reached the top, which was about 600 feet above where I had found the ledge. I looked down below me, picked out a big tree with a bushy top, taller than the rest and about 50 feet to the right of the ledge looking over the top of this tree from where i stood i could see out on frederick sound cape of the straight light the point of uh vanderput spit or point vanderput and turning a little to the left i could see sukhoi island kodiak from the mouth of wrangle narrows satisfied with that i turned half round to get a to get a backside on some mountain peaks and lying below me on the other side of the ridge from the ledge was a half-moon lake the Indian had told me about. Right there, fellows, I got the scare of my life. I hope to God I never see or go through the likes of it again. Swimming up the ridge toward me from the lake were the most hideous creatures. I couldn't call them anything but devils, as they were neither men nor monkeys yet looked like both. Wait, I... Does he not know what an otter looks like? I'm guessing not. Otters and monkeys don't look the same. No, but humanoid, hairy creature. He is also at a distance, too. Okay, sure. sure. So supposedly they were entirely sexless and their bodies covered with long, coarse hair. Okay, never mind. He's given a lot more detail here that I don't, I think, I think he just didn't know what an otter looked like because apparently their bodies were covered with long, coarse hair except where the scabs and running sores had replaced it. If he can see that, he's close enough to make out a little bit more detail. He's just never seen an otter. Yeah. Well, then again, we are talking about someone who has found some quartz and is now going to get rich off of it. So maybe they'd never seen otters. Like I said, maybe back then quartz was worth something. But each one of these creatures seemed to be reaching out for me and striving to be the first to get me. The air was full of their cries and the stench from their sores and bodies made me faint. I forgot my broken gun and tried to use it on the first ones. And then I threw it at them and turned and ran. God, how I did run. I could feel their hot breath on my neck. Their long claw-like fingers scraped my back. The smell from their steaming, stinking bodies was making me sick. While noises they made, yelling, screaming, and breathing drove me mad. Reason left me. How I reached the... That's also Moe's internal monologue. (laughs) Reason left me. (laughs) When I came to, it was night, and I was lying on the bottom of my canoe, drifting between Thomas Bay and Sukhoi Island, cold, hungry, and crazy for a drink of water, but only to satisfy the latter urge. I started for Wrangell, and here I am. You no doubt think I'm either crazy or lying. All I can say is, there is quartz. Never let me hear the name of Thomas Bay again, and for God's sake, help me get away from t- get away tomorrow on that boat. Sounds like he had a great day. Yeah. It sounds like just a wonderful day. The last story, as it stands, needs some more context on what might have happened. In researching the story, Ranger came across this bit of information. Uh, before 1900, there was a vessel. We couldn't find the name. 
that was reported lost in the vicinity of Thomas Bay. And it also documented that vessels of Chinese immigrants were shipped to Alaska in the late 1800s and continued until 1910 to work in the salmon canneries. Many of these people were goat farmers in their homeland, and it just so happens that mountain goats are plentiful in Thomas Bay. So it's a plausible conclusion to state that in this instance, a group of maroon Chinese immigrants might be what Culp saw that day. They would probably have had skins from the goats. They were able to catch sores from a poor diet, knew no or little English, and had different facial features than what Culp was seeing. If this is the case, it is a tragic and strange story indeed. However, it's just a theory. We want to stress here, no matter what, these stories of the Kushtaka are of major cultural significance to the Tlingit and Chimshian tribes and should not be mocked or theorized about. Land otter is of specific importance, as it was seen by these people as a connection between human and animal due to its human characteristics, both physically as well as its mannerisms. And the Kushtaka represents a symbolic link between the living and the dead. Um, the most significant confrontation with truth reality among traditional societies is death, how you die, when you die, where you go when you die, or cross-culturally brought with significance. In a harsh environment like the Alaskan wilderness or coast, death comes suddenly and unexpectedly. Bodies may never be recovered. Flinget treatments of corpses is cosmologically significant. That they believe with proper preparation, a dead person's spirit is reincarnated back into the clan lineage, and an unrecovered corpse presents a significant liminal problem. So does the Tlingit individual who disappears in a blizzard or drowns at sea get reincarnated despite lack of proper ceremony? We don't know. The, the problem is solved by saying that the unrecovered fatality has gone to the land of the Otter people. As such, it is wise to give those stories due respect and have reverence for other people's beliefs. So hopefully we did the, the story of the, the land otters justice and didn't offend too many people with our terrible pronunciations. I feel like people are less likely to get offended by us not being able to pronounce things than us not respect. Like if we didn't respect the stories, respect the culture, then I could see people getting upset. But us just not being able to say words because our mouths don't work properly. Mm-hmm. And our brains don't work properly. Speak for yourself. Fair. No, my brain doesn't work right either. <laughs> I was gonna, I was, I was gonna let you have that one, but then I was, I was like, okay then. <laughs> okay then. Dude, I spent last night researching horrific crime for fun. My brain's not right. Fair enough. But that is our story for today. But thank you for the story this week, Cracko. Thank you to Ranger for researching it. Yes, thank you, Ranger, for giving me more words I can't pronounce. Well, I didn't... So you were saying how they sound horrific. And like, yeah, supposedly they might kill some people. But I don't think they're as scary as you were saying they were going to be. Yeah, I I don't think so either. These people are, like, comfortable enough to, like a canoe with them and sleep near them and everything that they, they can't look that horrifying it's just I, I think it's just the thought of a humanoid otter is kind of odd because it's not something you'd see all the time Alrighty, well then we are gonna wrap up here thank you guys so much for listening and one more time thank you Krako. thank you ranger it was lovely as always well i don't know if lovely is the right word i say everything is lovely so 
Very interesting. I always love hearing stuff like this. So thank you guys. And we will see you next time. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Goodbye. Okay,